Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for what, which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. And let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Holy Spirit, um, your presence is in this place. And in this place, we honor your word. As a matter of fact, God, you said you have magnified your word even above your name. It's hard for us to fathom. But that's how you see your word and how you have called us to see your word. And so now we move into these moments that we, trusting the Holy Spirit to lead us, seek to rightly divide the word of truth so that it can challenge our hearts so that it can cut us, divide asunder our motives and our intentions, so that we can come under the transforming work of the Holy Spirit and be made like unto you. I ask Holy Spirit that you would speak through me today, not as a perfect vessel by any means, not as a vessel that has somehow earned the right or deserved the right to be anointed, but as one who is praying that you would anoint me so that I can speak clearly your word. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would captivate our attention, that we have ears to hear, and may we resolutely and corporately say we are all in for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Speak to our hearts in these moments, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning we are bringing this series, I think this is week 14, if I have counted correctly. Um, didn't intend for it to take that long, but I really felt very early on that we needed to slow down and, and really hear what God is saying to us through the book of Colossians. But we're bringing this series to a close. It is a series, at least for me, and I hope for you, that has challenged me and warned me and convicted me and encouraged me as well. We learned early on in the series of the majestic greatness of Jesus Christ. We talked about his full divinity or his full deity, his full sonship. We learned that we are complete in him. Nothing needs to be added to the work of Jesus in our lives. We have talked about the things and the attitudes and the behaviors that are incompatible with being a born-again child of God. And over the last two or three weeks, we have talked about the responsibilities of those who have been born again and belong to Him. Today, I want to talk about the greatest responsibility of all, and that is that we live that we serve, that we pray, that we give, 
that we even be willing, if called upon to die, all for the gospel. Just yesterday, as a matter of fact, I didn't know it would work out this way, but just yesterday I finished a book. Uh, it was a long book. It was a biography of uh, Adoniram Judson. The book was called To the Golden Shore, and it chronicles the life of this great pioneer missionary. Judson arrived in Burma, which is now Miramar, in 1812. And he died there 38 years later in 1850. During that time, he suffered greatly for the cause of the gospel. He was imprisoned. He was tortured, kept in shackles for months. After the death of his first wife, Anne, to whom he was devoted for several months, Judson was so depressed that he would sit daily beside her tomb. Three years later, he wrote, God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but at times I cannot find him. But Adoniram Judson's faith sustained him, and he threw himself into the task to which he believed God had called him. He worked feverishly on the translation of the Bible into Burmese. The New Testament had now been printed and he finished the Old Testament in early 1834. The statistics are not completely accurate, somewhat unclear, but the estimates are that there were somewhere between 12 and 25 professing Christians in the country when he died. And there were no churches to speak of. And he was there for 38 years. At the 150th anniversary of the translation of the Bible into Burmese, into the Burmese language, Paul Borthwick was addressing a group that was celebrating the life of Adoniram Judson. And just before he got up to speak, he noticed in small print on the first page of the Bible the words translated by Adoniram Judson. So Borthwick turned to the interpreter. He was a Burmese man named Matthew Hia Wynn. And he asked him, he said, Matthew, what do you know about this man? And Matthew began to weep as he said, we know him. We know how he loved the Burmese people, how he suffered for the gospel because of us, out of love for us. He died a pauper, but he left the Bible for us. When he died, there were few believers, but today he said, at the time of this speech many years ago, there are over 600,000 of us. And every single one of us traces our spiritual heritage to one man, the Reverend Adoniram Judson. But Judson never saw it. That would be the case for some of us if we give ourselves all for the gospel. We may be called to invest our lives in ministries for which we do not see much immediate fruit, trusting that the God of all grace oversees that work and will ensure that our labor ultimately is not in vain. Adoniram Judson was all in for the gospel. 
The words that I read to you this morning from Colossians chapter 4 are the final words of Paul to the Colossian church, a church, remember, that he had never even seen. Remember these words in chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul said, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for many, for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. As I have described over this entire series, on one particular Lord's Day morning, the pastor at the church at Colossae said to the congregation, I have a letter to read to you, and this letter comes from the Apostle Paul. You've never met him. But he is a great man of faith and he is preaching the gospel around the world and he has written a letter to us though he has not seen us. Paul is likely in prison when he writes this letter. As a matter of fact, he's probably in a Roman prison that we read about at the end of the book of Acts. Up to this point, most of the letter has been about relationships in the body and how to get along and how to share the gospel in the context of the family and in the community. But now all of a sudden, the letter turns outward. It's no longer inward. It's about how to carry the gospel to all the world. And we know that that is what stirred the heart of the Apostle Paul. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, Paul said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he has enabled me, because he has counted me faithful, he has put me into the ministry. In Romans 1 and verse 1, he says, I'm a bond servant, Paul said, of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated for the very cause of the gospel of God. And in verse 15, Paul writes, as much as in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to those who are in Rome also, don't you love this? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God into salvation. Everyone who believes to the Jew first and also for the Greek. Like Adoniram Judson, the apostle Paul was all in for the gospel. Everything was for the cause of the gospel. And now he shares with the Colossians and to us what it means to be all in for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me share with you seven very simple little truths and we'll move through these very quickly. But there are seven things that are found in just these few verses that characterize what it means to be all for the gospel. Number one, it means that there is a devotion to the gospel's spread. To be all in for the gospel means you are devoted to making certain that whatever you can do to make certain that the gospel is spread, you will do it. Paul says in Colossians 4, verse 2 and 3, continue earnestly in prayer. Be vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in prison. I am in chains. Notice that Paul asked the Colossians first to pray for him so that the gospel would spread. Prayer was the key to that spread. He knew that unless they prayed, the gospel would not make it across the seas. It would not make it to all the world. And that was the passion that Paul lived with. As a church body, we can work, we can give, we can have vision, we can plant churches. 
But without prayer, the spread of the gospel in Muncie, in Dunkirk, in Hartford City, around the world, without prayer, the spread of the gospel will never be fully accomplished. Paul is not talking here about intensity of prayer. He's not talking about being a loud prayer or a really dramatic prayer. He is talking about habitually and with perseverance praying. Grant Osborne says it's a gritty determination, a commitment to pray no matter what. In Luke 18 and verse 1, Jesus says that we should pray continually without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17, Paul says the same. James speaks about fervency in James 1 and 16. It is the effective, fervent prayer of the righteous that avails much. Notice the rhythm of prayer in these verses. First of all, there is intercession. Devote yourself to prayer. Intercede for the lost in Muncie. Intercede for the lost in Jay County and in, in Blackford County. Intercede for the lost around the world. Devote yourself. Do it earnestly, continually. And then wait on answers. Our job is to pray. It is to intercede. And then Paul says, then waiting on answers, waiting, continuing in it. And then notice the final piece of the rhythm of prayer is thanksgiving. When answers come. We should regularly be a people, not only that are praying, but are thankful for and reporting what God has done as he has responded to the intercessory prayers of his people. There needs to be an awareness as we pray. Paul says, be watchful and be thankful. We need to be aware of the nature of the times. We cannot, look at me for a moment, we can't change our culture without prayer. We need to be aware of what is going on we need to look out on a sleeping world and be devoted to the cause while awakened in our own lives, living lives of watchfulness. This is the only way the gospel will spread. Are we devoted to the cause? That's what it means to be all in for the gospel. I'm devoted to the gospel's spread. Can I just very practically encourage every one of you in your prayer time every single day to make it a matter of prayer that the gospel would spread that the gospel would spread in this community in the communities that we're serving around the world just pray god make the gospel spread let it reach those who need to hear it number two not only are those all in for the gospel devoted to the gospel spread but they are confident in the gospel's power Paul said this, meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word. Uh, what is the door that the gospel penetrates? Was he talking about the door of the Gentiles? Was he talking about the door of the prison house? God, open the door of the prison so I can walk out. Literally, he is saying, let there be a door for the word into the hearts and minds and the communities of the lost. The word here is personified. Paul is not praying that he or Timothy or Barnabas would have an open door. He was praying that the word would have an open door, that the message of the gospel would penetrate the hearts of those people whose hearts are stony and their eyes are blinded. Do you realize 
problem with our world is not just is not just apathy the problem with our world is their hearts are hard. The gospel needs to penetrate their hearts. It's good news that can change them. It is powerful and alive, and we must be confident in the power of the gospel. He was praying that the word would have an open door. The word is what needs entrance because only the word can transform a person's heart, not a person. The gospel, Paul said, it is the power of God into salvation. Not the sermon, not the song, not the ministry. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The word is what brings forth fruit. Look at Paul in Colossians 1, 5 and 6. He says this, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel which has come to you as it also has in all the world and it is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, the preaching of Christ is the whip that flogs the devil. The preaching of Christ is the thunderbolt, the sound of which makes all hell shake. Folks, let me just tell you, look at me for just a moment. We do believe in the power of the Word of God here. How many believe that? That's why we are committed to developing biblically sound believers. Listen, the best ministry in the world, the smoothest transitions in the world, the, the best facilities in the world cannot change a heart, but we believe the power of the gospel can. Say amen if you believe that. So those who are all in for the gospel are confident in the gospel's power. Thirdly, um, we are committed to the gospel's inclusivity. Let me explain. Paul says this, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word. Look at this, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. What is the mystery that Paul speaks about? Paul spoke about this earlier. In chapter one and verse 27, he says, this is the mystery of the gospel. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. N.T. Wright said it is the secret plan of God for salvation of the whole world as this has now been made known in and through Jesus Christ. Paul had said that the gospel, look at me for just a moment, I want you to think with me. He has said in Colossians 1.27 that the gospel is the mystery among the Gentiles. The, the gospel was a, a mystery because it wasn't just for one people. It wasn't just for the people of God, the Jewish people. The, the mystery was that the gospel was not going to just combine two people and make them two separate entities. The gospel was going to make, and they weren't just going to add Gentiles to the Jews. The gospel was going to make one new entity, the people of God, the body of Christ. Jew and Gentile were going to become one and something new. So the mystery was that the gospel was inclusive. Listen to me. Today, the cultural buzzword is inclusivity. We want inclusivity of all faiths, 
uh, inclusivity of all sexual orientations. We want inclusivity of all understandings of God. But the Bible, the gospel first and foremost, before it can be inclusive, is exclusive. It is exclusive in the sense that John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So there's an exclusive aspect of the gospel, but it is fully inclusive because whosoever calls upon Christ shall be saved. How many are thankful for that? And so we are committed to the inclusivity of the gospel. It is totally inclusive in that it does not matter, look at me, it does not matter who you were. It's what Christ makes you to become. That was clear cut. It was the clear message of Paul in Corinthians. Look at what Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, fornicators, idolaters, idolaters, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. That, by the way, is pretty clear. Wouldn't you say, that's pretty clear. But look at the rest of it. And such, this is the great news, such were some of you. But now you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of our God. How many are thankful that such were some of you, but now you're washed? See, it's inclusive. It doesn't matter what you were. It doesn't matter what you've done. Now you, by faith, are in Christ alone, and you are, in you are changed, transformed. Those who are all in for the gospel are confident in the gospel's inclusivity. They're confident that the gospel can change anyone. You see, if you're all in for the gospel, you don't believe that the gospel can only change good people. You don't believe that the gospel can only change people that are you know, not terrible. You believe that the gospel can change everybody who calls on the name of the Lord. Committed in the gospel's inclusivity. Number four, those who are all in for the gospel are aware of the gospel's cost. Look at verse four. The mystery of Christ for which, could you just go back one screen, for which I am also in chains. Paul said, I'm committed to the gospel, but it costs me something. I'm in prison for it. Mark Batterson tells of a modern-day martyr in his book, Chase the Lion. With his hands tied behind his back, and maybe you have read Batterson's book. It's a great book. With his hands tied behind his back, missionary J.W. Tucker was beaten. And then with 60 of his Christian compatriots, he was thrown into the crocodile infested Vomokande River. It wasn't ISIS, it wasn't Al-Qaeda who claimed responsibility. The attack took place November 24, 1964 at the hands of the Congolese rebels. Our natural instinct is to feel sorry for Tucker whose earthly life was seemingly cut short. 
But life can't be cut short when it lasts for all eternity. A holy empathy for his wife and children who survived the terrorist attack is biblically mandated. But having gained a hero, a hero in a long line of heroes who traced their genealogy back to the first Christian martyr, whose name was Stephen. In the grand scheme of God's good, pleasing, and perfect will, eternal gain infinitely offsets earthly pain. God does not promise us happily ever after. He promises so much more than that. He promises happily forever after. It was that eternal perspective that inspired J.W. Tucker to risk his earthly life for the gospel. Tucker did not fear death because he had already died to himself. It wasn't an uncalculated risk that led Tucker into the Congo during a civil war. He counted the costs with his missionary friend Morris Plotts. Many of you know that name. Morris Plotz has been at Glad Tidings many years ago. Plotz tried to convince his friend not to go. If you go in, he prophetically pleaded, you won't come out. To which Tucker responded, God didn't tell me I had to come out. He told me only that I had to go in. There's a cost that 21st century American Christians don't understand very well. But there's a cost to being all in for the gospel. A cost to embracing and declaring the truth. And folks, can I just tell you, and I'm not speaking prophetically, not that I know of, we don't know what our world will look like five or ten years from now. We don't know what cost may be ours, but can I tell you, we better be ready to pay a price. We better be ready to be all in for the gospel. We're not sure what it will be. Our culture is more rapidly than probably any of us could have ever imagined, rapidly deteriorating and opposed to the gospel. I'm just telling you, we must be aware of the gospel's cost if we are all in for the gospel. Number five, those who are all in for the gospel are surrendered to the gospel's cause. Just a quick little point here. Look at what Paul says. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. What is the gospel's cause? The cause of the gospel is those who are on the outside. Those who don't yet know him. That's the cause of the gospel. That's why God so loved the world. Those that were on the outside that he gave his only begotten son. That's the entire cause of the gospel is those who are on the outside. It's the reason Jesus came. It's the reason that 2 Peter 3, 9 says, he is willing that none perish, but all come to repentance. So, are we surrendered to the gospel's cause? The gospel's cause is everybody who's on the outside that doesn't know Jesus. Are you willing to use your gifts? to reach them? Are you willing to go if God calls you? If he calls you to another community, if he calls you to another country, are you willing to go? Are you really all in for the gospel? Are you willing to give resources that God may ask you to give so that the gospel can be carried to the world? Or are we just comfortable just kind of sliding by doing what we know we have to do 
or feel compelled to do? Or are we surrendered to the gospel's cause? Walk in wisdom to those who are on the outside. Redeem the time. Redeem the resources. Redeem the energy. Redeem the gifts. Don't redeem them for something that is just temporal. Think about all the resources we expend and all the energy we expend and all the talent we expend for temporary things. Why aren't we willing to expend it for that which is eternal? Somebody say amen if you believe that this morning. Two of you, oh my. (laughs) We have to be willing to expend all that we have for that which is eternal, committed and surrendered to the gospel's cause. Let me give you number six. We need to be armed with the gospel's truth. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. This says something about our speech should go without saying. We should not speak hatefully. And that is not just words that come from our mouth. That's words that we type and put on a screen and send into cyberspace. We should season our speech with grace. Not judgmental, not cruel. But it also says something about so that you may know how to answer each one. We need to know how to answer people's questions. I don't know if you're glad you came this morning or not, but I'm just gonna harp on one of my favorite subjects for about two minutes. We have got to work at biblical literacy, and that can't just be done on a Sunday morning with a preacher preaching for 40 minutes. This congregation has to give themselves to the study of the word, because if you wanna share your faith with someone, they're gonna have tough questions. They're, they're going to have questions that, that, are, that are difficult. They are going to have questions that are bathed in the context of our culture that they have heard from people that they consider authorities and very smart. And stammering around and saying, well, Grandma told me that, so I believe it, is not going to change them. That's why Peter says we need to be ready always. Be ready always to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. Say amen if you believe that. That's 1 Peter 3.15. We need to always be ready to tell people why we believe what we believe. If we want to see our community changed, if we want to see Dunkirk and Hartford City and the world changed, God's people need to be ready to know how to answer everyone each time with meekness, with humility, with fear, knowing the awesomeness. Let me just read that verse to you. But sanctify your the Lord God in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense. The word is apologia. It's where we get apology. It's what an apologetic does. They defend the faith. Be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you and do it with meekness. That's humility and fear. Knowing this is an awesome task. Look, look at me for just a moment. You may be sharing an answer with someone who is in that intersection between earth and eternity. And and, and their decision may be based on your response. Be ready always. Those who are all in for the gospel are armed 
with the gospel's truth. And then let me finish with this one. We need to be connected to the gospel's witnesses. Paul's thoughts have come full cycle in this letter. In chapter 1 and verse 3, um, and a few verses after that, he spoke to the Colossians of his thankful prayer for them. He said to them, I am praying for you. And I have prayed with thanksgiving for you. In chapter 1, verse 24, through chapter 2 and verse 5, he spoke of his work for the gospel. Now he ends with a request that they would pray for him. And that they would pray like him. And that they would work like he works. He started off by saying, I'm blessed by you and I'm praying for you and here's what I've done in the gospel and here's how you get along and here's how you can know who Christ is. But as he gets to the end of the letter, the pastor's reading it to the church at Colossae. They've been sitting on the edge of their seat listening to words from the apostle Paul and then Paul says, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me that the word will have a door to someone's heart? And then he invites them to work as well. He is telling them that we're all connected. Please get this, that we need each other. And then he invites them to join him and many others. Listen to how he closes his letters, his letter. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, he will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. So does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. By the way, Mark was the guy that Paul didn't want to go with him earlier, but he's changed now. There's been a softening, a reconciliation about whom you received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called justice. And, and listen to these final words. Um, he goes on to say, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who were of the circumcision. They proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who's one of you, bondservant of Christ, greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you. And those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis, Luke, the beloved physician, Demas, greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is also read in the church of Laodicea. And that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. And Paul said, this salutation is by my own hand, Paul. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Can I just talk to you for just a moment? I'll be done. Paul was saying to them, what we need to hear today, and that is, it takes us all. It's not just me, Paul said, it's all of these people. 
The writer of Hebrews says that we are joined with a great company of witnesses that cheer us on. They're watching us as we run. They're calling us toward the finish line, inviting us to live with Jesus at the center, to be all in for the gospel. So I open with a story about an Iram Judson missionary to Burma. Pastor Clayton, if you want to come, worship team can come. And why don't you stand? Why don't you stand? I want you to get this standing. I want you to hear this. So I opened with the story about an Iram Judson. Missionary to Burma. He labored for 38 years. 38 years. And he had only 12 to 25 converts when he died in 1850. He translated the Bible into Burmese. So he died in 1850. But in 1984, which was the 150th anniversary of the translation, as I mentioned, 600,000 Christians were there. Listen to this. Today, today, despite the fact that all missionaries are now banned from Miramar and believers are being persecuted, there are over 3 million Christ followers in Miramar. 38 years, somewhere between 12 and 25 converts, but he believed in the gospel. So he translated it so they could read it. He died and there's just a dozen or so believers, but they had the word and the word transformed them and it transformed others. And it, by 84, 600,000, by 2021, 3 million. Because Adoniram Judson tortured, beaten, actually lost three wives and I believe seven children died of disease while they were in Burma. But he was all in for the gospel. And he said this, there is no success without sacrifice. If you succeed without sacrifice, it's because someone has suffered before you. And if you sacrifice without success, it's because someone will succeed after you. I don't know about you, but I want to be all in for the gospel. Man, it changes lives. It's eternal. I don't just want to have, you know, we're in the Olympic period. I don't just want a temporal gold medallion. I want the crown of life. I want eternity. I want to see people come into eternity that without our efforts would have not known Jesus. I hope that you are all in for the gospel. And as a church, as glad tidings all for the gospel. With your heads bowed for just a moment, let me ask you um, just a simple question or two. How many here would say, Pastor Kevin, by upraised hand, I want to be all for the gospel. I want to be, a, just a simple question. How many say, I want to be all for the gospel? 
Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. The gospel's never penetrated your heart. You've never committed your life to his lordship. But today you say, Pastor Kevin, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want my life to make a difference. I want to serve him. I want to be used of him. I want to be forgiven. I want to have a relationship with God. I believe that he died on the cross for me and I want to give my life to him today. Is there anyone in this room that would raise a hand and say, would you pray for me? I want to give my life to Jesus today. I want you to pray for me and ask as I ask Jesus to come into my heart. Anyone in this room that would raise a hand and say, pray for me. Anyone in this room. Father, I thank you for your word today. As we prepare in just a moment to share in communion, sharing of communion is not in any way separated from this message in fact it is completely integrated in this message because the gospel is the proclamation of the cross and before we can proclaim a savior who has died and who has risen we must have died to the old man ourselves and be raised to new life. So prepare our hearts and may we leave this place today soundly committed to being all for the gospel, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated for just a moment this morning. matters why we do this. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus broke bread. He gave it to his disciples. Take and eat. This is my body. He took a cup. Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. It is poured out for many. For the forgiveness of sins, how we do this. Let each of us look at our lives. Let us recognize our sin. Let us see the grace of God in the body and blood of Christ, broken for us, poured out for our forgiveness. It matters that we do this. Let us eat the bread, drink from the cup, Remember the Lord's death in our place on the cross, looking for his return. Amen. I'd like for those who are going to help serve, if you would come at this time, we are going to distribute the elements. Let me just say to you that uh, if you're a believer, we invite you to share in communion with us. You do not have to be a member of Glad Tidings, just a follower of Jesus. Everyone would hold the elements until everyone has received them, and uh, then we will partake together.
thank you for the emblems that remind us that you invite us as we look to them to remember the body that on the cross was broken for us and the blood that at Calvary was shed for us. Paul taught us that we should examine ourselves first before we partake. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would shine your sanctifying light into our hearts. As the psalmist prayed, search me, O God. Try my anxious thoughts, see if there be any wicked way in me. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would reveal that to us, an attitude, an unforgiveness, a jealousy, an envy, bitterness, and we want to release that to you. We want to confess that to you. The Bible says that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to take just a moment, just a few seconds, and I want everyone just quietly before God to let the Holy Spirit look into your heart and you confess to Him if there is an area of your life that's not fully surrendered. Apostle Paul said, I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread and broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. Let us eat the bread together. same manner after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant it is my blood which is shed for you this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you do show the Lord's death until he comes let's drink the cup together Hallelujah. thank you for the cross can we sing that one more time just for